In the 1720s, a small envelope appeared mysteriously on the doorstep of a popular Boston newspaper. And then, 14 days later, another appeared. 14 days after that, another, and every 14 days, another letter would appear. The name on these letters, which a newspaper published to delighted readers in Boston, was Silence Duguid. She was a widow, or so she said. She talked about her life. She made fun of hoop skirts, the fashion at the time, calling them mortar pieces, engines of war, bombarding the town. She cast a jealous eye at those at Harvard, where students learn nothing except how to be conceited. She spoke frankly, even if it offended a few. She even hinted to the delight of more than a few male readers that she didn't like being a widow and she could marry again. No one knew who was writing these letters, all of Boston guessed, but gosh, they were entertaining. This was Benjamin Franklin's earliest writing that survives, the series of satirical essays published under the name of Silence Do Good. But Franklin's brother, who was the proprietor of the newspaper, found out, and he wasn't amused that his own brother had tricked him. Franklin left his apprenticeship without permission, and in doing so became a fugitive in a sense of colonial times. At age 17, Franklin ran away from Boston to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, seeking a new start in a new city. He worked in a few printer shops around town, but he was not satisfied by the immediate prospects. He met everyone he could, including William Keith, the colony's governor. And after a few months, he went to London at the suggestion of Keith in the hope of getting financial support for his new enterprise. Franklin worked as a typesetter in a printer shop in the Smithfield area of London. With the help of Thomas Denham, a Philadelphia merchant, he moved back to Philadelphia, and Denham employed Franklin as clerk, shopkeeper, and bookkeeper in his business. Two years later, Denham was dead, and Franklin had set up a printing house in partnership with another man, Hugh Meredith. The following year, he became the publisher of a newspaper called the Pennsylvania Gazette. The Gazette gave Franklin a forum for agitation about a variety of local reforms and initiatives through printed essays and observations. His income came from the newspaper, but especially from job printing, that is occasional printing work for hire, where the customer paid for the whole edition and distributed it how he pleased. He'd print books for people, he'd print pamphlets, flyers, he did blank forms, lottery tickets, handbills, paper money. The real money came from getting government contracts, and in 1732, when he had his big hit. Franklin describes it this way. I first published my almanac under the name of Richard Saunders. It was continued by me about 25 years, commonly called Poor Richard's Almanac. I endeavored to make it both entertaining and useful, and it accordingly came to be in such demand that I reaped considerable profit from it, vending annually near 10,000. A colonial bestseller. Now, it wasn't as original as we think of today, and this wasn't something that Franklin hit at all. Franklin got the name Richard Saunders from an English almanac that was called Poor Robin's Almanac. As he said, I therefore filled all the little spaces that occurred between the remarkable days in the calendars with proverbial sentences, chiefly such as incalculated industry and frugality, as the means of procuring wealth and thereby securing virtue. These little pieces of advice in the calendar weren't his own. He was, as he admitted, a printer and not a poet. It would become the primary basis for his international fame as an author. But the wisdom, which he didn't hide, had been taken from many ages and nations, as he wrote in Poor Richard in 1746. 
We've gone through so many of the signers now, and by my count we have but two signers left that I really haven't touched on in the series. And I think we can go back a bit to one of the more well-known ones. I'll read a bit from Poor Richard's Almanac, but as I do think about it, these aren't idle words. It represents the thinking of people in the time that we're talking about and even 20 years before the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Some of it is just advice on industry. Oh, lazy bones, does thou thinkest God would have given thee arms and legs if he had not designed thou shouldst use them? One today is worth two tomorrows. And finally, the sleeping fox captures no poultry. The advice on health is particularly useful and really modern. Cheese and salt meat should be sparingly eaten to lengthen thy life, lessen thy meals. Eat few suppers and you'll need few medicines. There are more old drunkards than old doctors. God heals and the doctor takes the fee. There's advice that could be useful for understanding today's politics. The magistrate should obey the laws, the people, the magistrate. Quarrels could never last long if one side only lay the wrong. Great talkers should be cropped, for they have no need of ears. Clean your finger before you point at my spots. And finally, in rivers and bad governments, the lightest things swim at the top. But there's just a few points of general good wisdom. Three may keep a secret if two of them are dead. A countryman between two lawyers is like a fish between two cats. And just in case you thought, old Abe invented this one. You may be too cunning for one, but not for all. And there's a lot of wisdom here. Think about Americans when you think about these poor Richard Almanac quotes. Industrious, self-supporting, a wee bit cynical, a bit suspicious. I hope these little quotes from Ben Franklin's big bestseller help you to understand a little bit about the mentality of the Enlightenment-era folks, the Age of Reason folks. They're among those signing the Declaration of Independence. Coming up, we definitely got some signers in Rhode Island to talk about. <laughs> 